Several chapters later, matters are more convoluted than ever. Angela is now engaged to Gussie, and things take a turn for the worse for Bertie when Jeeves brings him a telegram whose appalling contents are succinctly rendered by our hero to his Aunt Dahlia in the words, Do you know what's happened? Madeline Bassett says she's going to marry me. I hope it keeps fine for you, said the relative, and passed from the room looking like something out of an Edgar Allan Poe story. I don't suppose I was looking so dashed unlike something out of an Edgar Allan Poe story myself, for, as you can readily imagine, the news item which I have just recorded got in amongst me properly. If the Bassett, in the belief that the Worcester heart had long been hers and was waiting ready to be scooped in on demand, had decided to take up option, I should, as a man of honour and sensibility, have no choice but to come across and kick in. The matter was obviously not one that could be straightened out with a curt nolle prosequi. All the evidence, therefore, seemed to point to the fact that the doom had come upon me, and what was more had come to stay. And yet, though it would be idle to pretend that my grip on the situation was quite the grip I would have liked it to be, I did not despair of arriving at a solution. A lesser man caught in this awful snare would no doubt have thrown in the towel at once and ceased to struggle. But the whole point about the Worcesters is that they are not lesser men. By way of a start, I read the note again. Not that I had any hope that a second perusal would enable me to place a different construction on its contents, but it helped to fill in while the brain was limbering up. I then, to assist thought, had another go at the fruit salad and in addition ate a slice of sponge cake. And it was as I passed on to the cheese that the machinery started working. I saw what had to be done. To the question which had been exercising the mind, viz, can Bertram cope? I was now able to reply with a confident, absolutely. The great wheeze on these occasions of dirty work at the crossroads is not to lose your head, but to keep cool and try to find the ringleaders. Once find the ringleaders and you know where you are. The ringleader here was plainly the Bassett. It was she who started the whole imbroglio by chucking Gussie. And it was clear that before anything could be done to resolve and clarify, she must be induced to revise her views and take him on again. This would put Angela back into circulation, and that would cause Tuppy to simmer down a bit, and then we could begin to get somewhere. I decided that as soon as I had had another morsel of cheese, I would seek this Bassett out and be pretty eloquent. And at this moment, in she came. I might have foreseen that she would be turning up shortly. I mean, to say, hearts may ache, but if they know that there's a cold collation set out in the dining room, they're pretty sure to come popping in sooner or later. Her eyes, as she entered the room, were fixed on the salmon mayonnaise, and she would no doubt have made a beeline for it and started getting hers, had I not, in the emotion of seeing her drop, a glass of the best with which I was endeavouring to bring about a calmer frame of mind. The noise caused her to turn, and for an instant embarrassment supervened. A slight flush mantled the cheek, and the eyes popped a bit. Oh, she said. I've always found that there is nothing that helps to ease you over one of these awkward moments like a spot of stage business. Find something to do with your hands, and it's half the battle. I grabbed a plate and hastened forward. A touch of salmon? 
Thank you. With a suspicion of salad? If you please. And a drink? Name the poison. I think I would like a little orange juice. She gave a gulp. Not at the orange juice, I don't mean, because she hadn't got it yet, but at all the tender associations those two words provoked. It was as if someone had mentioned spaghetti to the relict of an Italian organ grinder. Her face flushed a deeper shade. She registered anguish, and I saw that it was no longer within the sphere of practical politics to try to confine the conversation to neutral topics like cold-boiled salmon. So did she, I imagine, for when I, as a preliminary to getting down to brass tacks, said, er, uh, she said, er, uh, too, simultaneously, and the brace of ers clashed in mid-air. I'm sorry. Beg your pardon. You were saying. You were saying. No, please go on. Oh, right-o. I straightened the tie, my habit when in this girl's society, and had at it. With reference to yours of even date, she flushed again and took a rather strained forkful of salmon. You got my note? Yes, I got your note. I gave it to Jeeves to give it to you. Yes, he gave it to me. That's how I got it. There was another silence, and as she was plainly shrinking from talking turkey, I was reluctantly compelled to do so. I mean, somebody had got to. Too dashed silly, a male and female in our position, simply standing eating, eating salmon and cheese at one another without a word. Yes, I got it all right. I see, you got it. Yes, I got it. I've, I've just been reading it, and what I was rather wanting to ask you if we happened to run into each other was, well, well, well what about it? What about it? That's what I say. What about it? But it was quite clear. Oh, yes, quite perfectly clear. Very well expressed and all that. But I, I mean, well, well, I mean, deeply sensible of the honour and so forth. But, well, well dash it. She had polished off her salmon and now put the plate down. Fruit salad? Uh, no, thank you. Pot of pie? No, thanks. Well, one of those glue things on toast? No, thank you. She took a cheese straw. I found a cold egg which I had overlooked. Then I said, I mean to say, just as she said, I think I know. And there was another collision. I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. No, do go on. No, you go on. I waved my cold egg courteously to indicate that she had the floor. <laughs> and she started again. I think I know what you're trying to say. You're surprised. Yes. You're thinking of? Exactly. Mr. Finknottle, the very man. You find what I have done hard to understand? Absolutely. I don't wonder. I do. And yet it is quite simple. She took another cheese straw. She seemed to like cheese straws. Quite simple, really. I want to make you happy. Oh, dash decent of you. I am going to devote the rest of my life to making you happy. A very matey scheme. I can at least do that, but may I be quite frank with you, Bertie? Oh, rather. Then I must tell you this. I am fond of you. I will marry you. I will do my best to make you a good wife, but my affection for you can never be the flame-like passion I felt for Augustus. Just the very point I was working round to. There is, as you say, there is the snag. Why not chuck the whole idea of hitching up with me? Wash it out altogether. I mean, if you love old Gussie, no longer. Oh, come. No, what happened this afternoon has killed my love. 
A smear of ugliness has been drawn across a thing of beauty, and I can never feel towards him as I did. I saw what she meant, of course. Gussie had bunged his heart at her feet. She had picked it up, and almost immediately after doing so, had discovered that he had been stewed to the eyebrows all the time. The shock must have been severe. No girl likes to feel that chap has got to be thoroughly plastered before he can ask her to marry him. It wounds the pride. Nevertheless, I persevered. But have you considered, I said, that you may have got a wrong line on Gussie's performance this afternoon? Admitted that all the evidence points to a more sinister theory, what price him simply having got a touch of the sun? Chaps do get touches of the sun, you know, especially when the weather's hot. She looked at me, and I saw that she was putting in a bit of the old drenched irises stuff. It was like you to say that, Bertie. I respect you for it. Oh, no. Yes, you have a splendid chivalrous soul. Oh, not a bit. Oh, yes, you have. You remind me of Cyrano. Who? Cyrano de Bergerac. The chap with a nose? Yes. I can't say I was any too pleased. I felt the old beak furtively. It was a bit on the prominent side, perhaps, but dash it, not on the Serrano, in the Serrano class. It began to look as if the next thing this girl would do would be to compare me to Schnozzle Durante. He loved, but pleaded another's cause. Oh, see what you mean now. I like you for that, Bertie. It was fine of you, fine and big, but it is no use. There are things which kill love. I can never forget Augustus, but my love for him is dead. I will be your wife. Well, one has to be civil. Right ho, I said, thanks awfully. Then the dialogue sort of puffed out once more, and we stood eating cheese straws and cold eggs, respectively, in silence. There seemed to exist some little uncertainty as to what the next move was. Fortunately, before embarrassment could do much more supervening, Angela came in, and this broke up the meeting. The Bassett announced our engagement, and Angela kissed her, and said she hoped she would be very, very happy, and the Bassett kissed her, and said she hoped she would be very, very happy with Gussie, and Angela said she was sure she would, because Augustus was such a dear, and the Bassett kissed her again, and Angela kissed her again, and in a word, the whole thing got so badly feminine that I was glad to edge away. I would have been glad to do so, of course, in any case, for if ever there was a moment when it was up to Bertram to think and think hard, this moment was that moment. It was, it seemed to me, the end. Not even on the occasion some years earlier when I had inadvertently become betrothed to Tuppy's frightful cousin Honoria had I experienced a deeper sense of being waist-high in the gumbo and about to sink without trace. I wandered out into the garden, smoking a tortured gasper, with the iron well embedded in the soul. And I had fallen into a sort of trance, trying to picture what it would be like to having the Bassett on the premises for the rest of my life, and at the same time, if you follow me, trying not to picture what it would be like when I charged into something which might have been a tree, but was not, being, in point of fact, Jeeves. I beg your pardon, sir, he said. I should have moved to one side. I did not reply. I stood looking at him in silence, for the sight of him had opened up a new line of thought. 
This Jeeves now, I reflected. I had formed the opinion that he had lost his grip and was no longer the force he had been. Was it not possible, I asked myself, that I might be mistaken? Start him off exploring avenues and... Might he not discover one through which I would be enabled to sneak off to safety, leaving no hard feelings behind? I found myself answering that it was quite on the cards that he might. After all, his head still bulged out at the back as of old. One noted in the eyes the same intelligent glitter. Mind you, after what had passed between us in the matter of that white mess jacket with the brass buttons, I was not prepared absolutely to hand over to the man. I would, of course, merely take him into consultation, but recalling some of his earlier triumphs, the Sipperly case, the episode of my Aunt Agatha and the dog Mackintosh, and the smoothly handled affair of the Uncle George and the barmaid's niece were a few that sprang to mind, I felt justified at least in offering him the opportunity of coming to the aid of the young master in his hour of peril. But before proceeding further, there was one thing that had got to be understood between us and understood clearly. Jeeves, I said, a word with you. Sir, I am up against it a bit, Jeeves. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. Can I be of any assistance? Quite possibly you can if you've not lost your grip. Tell me frankly, Jeeves, are you in pretty good shape mentally? Yes, sir. Still eating plenty of fish? Yes, sir. Then it may be all right. In the past, when you have contrived to extricate self or some pal from some little difficulty, you have frequently shown a disposition to take advantage of my gratitude to gain some private end. Those purple socks, for instance, also the plus fours and the old Etonian spats. Choosing a moment with subtle cunning, you came to me when I was weakened by relief and got me to get rid of them. And what I am saying now is that if you are successful on the present occasion, there must be no rot of that description about that mess jacket of mine. Very good, sir. You will not come to me when all is over and ask me to jettison the jacket? Certainly not, sir. On that understanding, then, I will carry on. Jeeves, I am engaged. I hope you will be very happy, sir. Oh, don't be an ass. I'm engaged to Miss Bassett. And there we conclude. And you may reasonably suppose that with Jeeves now safely installed at the levers, everything goes just tickety-boo. <laughs>